Top Production. Shameless is the podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. A celebrity and pop culture download that's hosted by Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. And it's taken Australia by storm. Now, if I had $1 for every friend who told me they were going to start a podcast, then I would buy the fancy biscuits far more often than I do. But Michelle and Zara, the team behind Shameless, are totally different. Together, these two make podcasting magic. But who are the notoriously private young women behind this podcasting juggernaut? What makes their business so successful? What gives a pair of 20-somethings the courage to leave stable, secure media jobs and start something from scratch? And why are we all so obsessed with celebrity culture? My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. The Weekend List is on its way where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Michelle and Zara, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. How are you both? Have you managed to avoid the dreaded COVID during your summer? (laughs) Well, Michelle sounds like she hasn't because her voice is a bit (laughs) scratchy today. Yeah, hello. I I do sound like I'm the one with COVID and yet I'm not the one with COVID. (laughs) Zara has COVID. So we're a bit of a funny pair today. Jam, Mish has laryngitis, I have COVID, but we are kicking on because it, we would do anything to sit and have a chat with you, to be honest. Of course. The outrageously rude thing about this situation is that I am very well and spent the morning strawberry picking with two kids. That's how wholesome I am. <gasps> and yet you two managed to look this glamorous when you're both unwell. It's actually quite <laughs> off-putting. <laughs> Now, the story of how Shameless got started has become media folklore now. You pitched the idea when you were both working at Mamma Mia. They didn't love it, or at least they didn't love the idea of you two hosting this. You made the leap. My question is, what about each of your lives to that point, because you were quite young, gave you the kind of confidence that meant you could walk away from a great job in media to start your own thing? Zara, why don't you kick off? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few elements, right? There, For me, there are like the very practical logistical elements where I was 23 and I was living at home. So I probably had a, a much easier scenario than Michelle did who was living out of home, just freshly living out of home with her partner. But you kind of have that security around you, which is like a huge part of it. And it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge that, like living at home and having the protection to be like, well, I'm not going to end up on the streets. Mish, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think we also had people around us who were just super supportive. Like my partner, Mitch, never once questioned me leaving my job in order to pursue Shameless. That was just like a given to him. And also I think we had both had experiences of kind of dabbling and going out on our own. Like I had done blogging for years before I was at Mamma Mia. So I felt like I could kind of build something on my own. And I kind of had an idea of what it took to get your name out there or get people sharing the content you're putting out. So I think all of those experiences together kind of made us quite confident. Like we were young and we were naive, but we were also quite confident that if we just started, we could create something pretty special. Zara, what's been the most intimidating part of starting your own business? Um, I think every day there's something that I do that I'm like, this feels hard. Like 
I think it's it had been a long time since you sit in class at school. You know when you used to sit in class at school and you're like, this problem that's sitting on the whiteboard just feels difficult and I don't quite know how to solve it. Sometimes I'll be sitting in front of like a, a, a bloody insurance form being like, I don't know how to answer these questions. Like I don't know how to fill it out without... I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Please swear. Without fucking the business's future. Like if I fill this insurance format wrong and we get sued, then everything can fall apart. And I think you feel like intense pressure in those sort of moments where I haven't had that feeling in so long where you're like, this just feels difficult and hard to Mm. work out. There's that part of it for sure. I think the other part that's been a real learning curve for the both of us is like managing staff. Like we've been staff, but not staff for very long. Like we've both worked full-time for what, two years maybe? Worked under managers for two years full-time and that's it. And then how do you learn to manage well at this age with very little experience? It's incredibly intimidating. And I think it feels I don't know if this is a fair comparison at all, Jam. You might laugh at me, but it feels a bit like parenting and that. It's like I really want this to be <laughs> a good experience for you. I don't want my ignorance or naivety to play a role here. Like I want to be committed to being a good manager to you so that you feel like working here is a good ex- a good experience. Like that's a huge priority for us. And it is terrifying that we might muck it up sometimes or ever. And it sounds like you've now got experts on your team who are good at that sort of stuff and that's their jam, right? But if I take you back to before then, Michelle, one of the problems of the media and the arts industry is how often we're asked to work for free and we're told that the value of our work is literally nothing uh, and you're promised exposure and opportunity but you're not promised money. If you were struggling in that situation to ask for the dollars, were you also a bit indignant or were you kind of happy to just be given the opportunity in the first place? Zara will say this. I remember there was one partnership opportunity where they came to us and they said, do you want to host an event for us? You can do it for free and we'll give you all this exposure on our Instagram account because we'll tag you. And I instantaneously said, yes, I was like, absolutely. (laughs) I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whereas Zara sat back and was like, hang on a second. Like, why would we do this for free? And for whatever reason, it ended up going ahead that I did it and Zara did not. (laughs) And I did it for free. I have plans to go away. I'm I'm not doing it. Michelle's like, I am. I'm going to do this. And I was like, <laughs> your circus, your yeah. monkeys. It's a great example of why we're better as a team because uh, truthfully, if I was on my own, yes, I would probably put out content I was really proud of and that people enjoyed, but I would make relatively no money for it and I would burn out and it would end up being like me in a pile on the floor. Zara is very good at putting the same amount of content out there that I would anyway, but doing it in a way where we don't sacrifice ourselves in the process. So thankfully she's in my corner because otherwise I would have burnt out maybe three years ago. (laughs) Yes, but thankfully I have all your ideas in my corner. So it balances (laughs) each other out. Zara, from the outside, and I am lucky enough to know you two a little bit, so I feel like even from the edges of the inside, the juggernaut that is shameless can look like this incredible success with no moment of hesitation or error. Could you share an example of when you have made a mistake or when you've made a call and later gone, oh, I don't know about this? Yeah, I think they happen all the time. I mean, there's the obvious ones where it's like we've covered stuff, stories in a way that perhaps we wouldn't cover them today, but I think that is just part of like growing up on a microphone. We started this when we are 23. Michelle's nearly 20. 
next So are months. you. You'll have 28. You're, you're first, though, I always remind her. <laughs> she basically is a boomer now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, and then I think that there are other decisions where we've felt like we've rushed things too much. I think there's been sh- like maybe a show or two that we've put out that we've put out way too quickly because I think you get told in this industry that, you know, you've always got to be pushing out things fast. You've got to be reactive and and maybe there's like some money on the line where they're like, if you can get this to us by X point, we'll pay for it or whatever it might be. And so we've, ru- we've rushed content out thinking that everything would fall apart if we didn't do that. And we've definitely done that with a podcast series or two in the past where we just haven't given ourselves the time to really think through the concept or think through what it's going to look like or what even the point of difference is. And and that's kind of hard to grapple with because you look back and you're like, oof, bit of a misstep there. But it's for that reason today that we're, we're working on a show at the moment to put out with our producer, Annabelle Lee at the helm. And it's like, I keep saying to everyone, like, if this takes six months for us to make, it takes six months for us to get it out. And I have no issues telling our audience that that's what it's going to take because I want it to be perfect and I want us to take time doing it and I don't think we would be making those decisions now had we not rushed out other podcast series before. Michelle, Zara sort of reflected that there are times when you look back on what you were making however many years ago and you go, oh, okay, I, I would do that differently now. I would approach that differently now. You guys have clearly evolved as the show's gone on. Have you noticed that the media industry has changed as well? Like has the indus- the way the industry deals with celebrity culture shifted over the last few years? Oh, what an interesting question. I think it has. I think perhaps speaking tightly maybe to Gen Z and millennial media, which does cover celebrity so much in Australia, I think they're held to account more. I think there is this real feedback mechanism from readers, say of Junkie or Pedestrian or Mamma Mia, whatever publication we're talking about, that if they're not liking the way they're talking about a certain celebrity or the the tone they're using to discuss female celebrities in particular, then they will be called out for it. I mean, it's a really interesting one because when we go back and we look at different celebrity stories with our series called Scandal, we've realised how much the way the media talks about people has changed. Like the language publications were using even in 2015 is so different to the language they use now. I think particularly when it comes to women and sex, uh, revenge porn, the way we talk about nude photographs that come out about celebrities is completely different now to how it was five or six years ago. And I think particularly with the rise of OnlyFans, I think we've seen how sex work has been completely reframed, I think, in young people's minds. And that has really stood out to me going back and looking at these stories and comparing them to how we talk about people today. It's just worlds apart. I think we're far more compassionate when we discuss people today. Zara, the audience hears what you do record and what you do choose to cover and the stories you do choose to talk about. Do you have any hard and fast rules about what you don't talk about? Yeah. Sometimes there'll be a story like the Daily Mail covers something pretty horrendously and we're like, oh, let's cover it. Like, let's cover it. They should not have written about this woman in that way. And then you kind of have to step back and be like, well, how many people would have feasibly read this story that was kind of buried at the bottom of the Daily Mail? And are we actually just putting it back into the podcast feeds of like 150,000 people for the sake of what, to pull it apart when we're actually just putting this celebrity or this Australian celebrity or this influencer um, and this terrible thing that's been written about them. Yeah, 
kind of on the radar of more people. And it's like, you have to be very responsible about that. Cause it's like, is that helpful or is it not? Mish, would you agree with that? Can you think of a better example? Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. I think another one is, is that as we've grown up, our interests have slightly changed. So we used to talk a lot about influencers back in 2018. And I think our filter in 2022 is if there's an influencer drama going on, we mostly leave it to kind of like the gossip podcasts unless it pierces the mainstream media. If mainstream media is talking about something that an influencer has done, we tend to kind of pick it up and cover it. Otherwise, we leave it to a lot of the other podcasts that have popped up recently. Zara, one of the things I've noticed about you two on your podcast is compared to a lot of other podcasts where the hosts have themselves become identities that people are really interested in, you two tend not to get that personal beyond what you did on the weekend. There is the occasional diversion into your personal lives, but for the most part, you've sort of stayed really focused on celebrity. You've stayed in your lane. Has that been a deliberate decision? And if it has been, can you tell me why? Yeah, I think um, we were having a conversation about this last week, actually, because I think we were doing an interview with someone overseas and they really forced us to think a lot about, you know, sharing personal parts of ourselves. And so we started having conversations between ourselves, thinking a lot about how we share less and less. And I think that's been a huge result of putting our book out into the world and then sort of retreating under a shell. And I don't think we actually ever had a proper conversation about being like, let's not share anything anymore, but we just sort of put that book out and then thought, Mm -hmm. "Hmm, let's sit back now. And we don't, like, there's no regret about putting a book out into the world like that, but it is one of those things where it's like, hmm, I wonder if a 23, 24-year-old came to me and asked me if they should do that, whether I would tell them to do the same thing. And so ever since then, I think it's just been a huge protective mechanism because In many ways, it also helps you separate work from personal because if people say to us, I used to have this thing where I'm like, well, if people tell me that I did badly at my job today, then I feel like I'm a bad person too and there's like no separation between work and play and and that and that's been really hard but if you say okay well I give a certain version of myself which is true and authentic to the audience but I save some things for myself well they're not telling me I'm a terrible person because they don't know everything they know what I've given them and so for me in that sense it's been like a real line in the sand to be like they don't need to know everything I've got this picture of like this cute little crab in my head that's like popping its head out and being like, <laughs> I like it out here no no I don't no no it's, I'm going it's back, like I'm that going and back. I kind of jet out and back every so often being like oh need to hide ready to come back out need to hide ready to come back yeah. out there's no consistency with it which is hard but it's okay I think it's also the equation of we understand that there are Instagram influencers out there and that is a great career path for them but we are quite conscious that we do not want to be regarded as Instagram influencers. Instagram is kind of a branch of our job. Like we use Instagram to Mm. platform shameless and us as media personalities or podcast hosts or culture analysts, that is our main job. And I think that's why we've been quite conscious with some of the stuff we do online to to really push that. Like we want people to like the show because of the content. And yes, of course, us and our personalities and our friendship will come through as like a secondary stream. But the primary thing is us as media personalities, not us as influencers, if that makes sense. Mm. Michelle, I imagine that um, success has also brought the opportunity to meet a whole lot more people in the Australian media industry. And that means meeting 
the celebrities you talk about on the podcast. So how are you balancing what must be some actual relationships of some degree with the people you're doing journalism about? Mm, It's been a really interesting journey. In fact, that's probably a situation we're going to find ourselves in with this week's episode about someone who's been on the uh, on the podcast before. So, yes, it's uncomfortable and, yes, it's awkward, but Zara and I have had to kind of put our big girl pants on and just do it anyway. Michelle, no doubt you've had offers from other podcast networks and media companies to buy Shameless. Mm. Have you contemplated, would you contemplate selling the business? And I, I just noticed I've asked that directly to you, like Zara would be involved <laughs> in this conversation. As we all know, I'm the good one with money in the company. Um, we have been offered sums of money by multiple networks or businesses. And I mean, I can't say, I'll, I'll never get on here and be like, never, like we'll never do that. But for now, we love doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it in that anyone can access Shameless wherever they want to and that's very important to us. Yes, we might do other shows where we partner with a network and that belongs on their platform and it's a an additional piece of content to what we do every single week with the Shameless podcast. But for now, I just love the idea that no matter where you are in the world, no matter what podcast app you like listening to us on, you can get our show. That is very important to both of us. And so while networks have come to us and offered large sums of money, it's never been enough for us to want to make the jump. And that would be a huge jump. It would be such a big decision. And I know it works for other podcast creators, but for us, it's never really even scratched. I would I would say Zara, it's never really scratched our interest enough to yeah, I think you'd be foolish not to like sit in on the conversations and see what people are putting in front of you. But at no point have we like spent a serious time considering it. I don't know if it's because like we've done this ourselves the whole time. So you naturally feel like a little bit of a control freak with what you're doing. But I, I think there are heaps of elements to it. But at the end of the day, like we're incredibly lucky to be able to like create this thing ourselves and not have any other stakeholders really tell us what to do. Like an advertiser won't even know what we're covering until the rest of everybody else listens to it. Like nobody is ever telling us that we can or can't cover something or can and can't say something apart from our lawyers maybe. (laughs) And, um, and that's, I think that's what makes the show good. And so unless that wasn't going to change, I can't see how it would work. I question how much luck was involved, but I'm going to leave that to the side. Uh, I would have said it was skill and instinct. I want to talk about one of your spin-off podcasts that you are doing in collaboration with Listener, which is called The Books That Changed My Life. Michelle, what do books tell us about people? What do the kind of books people are drawn to and the kind of books they like to read tell you about the person themselves? Oh, I just think it's such an incredible window into who someone is and the the belief system that shapes them as well, I think. I mean, I'm thinking about the books that have changed my life and so many of them have come along at very crucial junctures in my 20s in particular. And I think it's just such an incredible experience to sit down with people and hear about the books that have stayed with them and have touched them in a moment when they've really needed it. I think that's what I've really loved. For example, on the second season, we spoke to Shana Jack and she spoke to us about the darkest period in her life when she was banned from swimming because a illegal substance was found mm. in her system. And I think hearing about that time through the books that kind of 
bolstered her to get through it was just such a privilege. And you really learn so much about the way someone's mind works and the way they go through things. It's just, it's real privilege to hear people's stories through the books that they love because we are such bookworms. And after every interview, we've kind of sat down together and been like, we need to buy these books first of all, because they just sound remarkable, but also what books have shaped us and what has kind of given us the framework to go through whatever we're going through at the moment. Well, that's exactly what I want to know. Zara, the last two years have been rubbish uh, (laughs) for humanity, Um, but most of us have had a tough time. You live in Melbourne. You've been locked down for long periods of time. Even as we're getting our freedoms back as we record this today, things are still pretty nerve-wracking out there, um, particularly for some members of the community. What is the book that has gotten you through the last two years or the book that stayed with you the most? I mean, I probably have a little bit of recency bias about this one because I read this one over summer, so it always kind of operates like that, doesn't it? Um, But I did recently pick up Love Stories by Trent Dalton because it's our um, book club pick for January And I honestly think even if I didn't have recency bias, that book would stay with me and would be the book that I constantly want to go back to. I don't know if, have you read it, Jam? Yeah, I have. Yeah. It was the kind of book where you go out of your way to find a way to contact the author and tell them everything they probably aren't interested in. I wasn't in the best headspace when I picked this up. I spent all of my time crying in the best way possible. I felt very full after it. It was everything that I ever needed to read. And for me, it was like, I think with everything that's been going on in the world in the two years and and with everything that's a kind of we deal with at work, which is just noise a lot of the time, it was very nice to kind of centre my focus on one thing that is very beautiful, which is love. And I think I had considered myself before picking up this book pretty good at loving the people around me. I'm getting better at it every day. And yet I thought a lot about love after I read this book and I was like, I can always be better. Like I can always remember that this is the centre of everything. This is the thing that will keep you sane. And to have that front of mind feels so obvious, but it wasn't until I read the book where it's like, you know what, it's not always front of mind and it should be. Like I spend my time worrying and stressing about little things that can exist on the periphery when you've got this at the centre. I remember reading Lee Sales' Any Ordinary Day mm. a few years ago. I remember I had an, had an advanced copy. I was really fortunate to get sent that one. I was really sick and thinking about life and death and love a lot. And I don't think I've been touched by a book since then more than this one by Trent Dalton. It is really? beautiful. Michelle, same question to you. Uh, what's the book that's got you through the pandemic or stayed with you? Oh, well, first of all, Love Stories by Trent Dalton and Any Ordinary Day are just remarkable books. They're the kind of books that you remember where you were when you picked them up. Like I remember where I was yeah. in St Kilda on a park bench when I picked up Lee Sale's book and it is just remarkable for anyone who hasn't read that one. I think one that has stuck with me since I picked it up last year is The Courage to Be Disliked. It's a very challenging book in that I do not agree with everything in it and I want to put that out there because I know some people will pick it up and go, whoa, this is quite – it goes against the grain of a lot of the kind of psychological principles we are taught here in Australia and it's it's out of Japan actually. It's using a lot of kind of different psychological principles to talk about front-facing roles or being disliked by the people around you and I think it just was a complete – blast of water to the face almost to 
shirk off any of the negativity that might come with being in a front-facing role or a public role and just being true to yourself. Like I know that sounds quite saccharine or naff, but I think it's very important to have those moments where you come back to your centre and you ask yourself, why do I believe what I believe and why am I the way I am? And it's just remarkable. I think it's sold 3 million copies worldwide for a reason. So I don't hear a lot about it here in Australia. I know it's a translation from the original Japanese text, but I definitely recommend The Courage to be Disliked. I want to thank you both for your recommendations and also for spending time with me on a day when neither of you are feeling amazing. (laughs) Thank you also for a podcast that is so full of light and positivity and joyous escape. Um, and felt like I was going places and talking to people who I enjoy their company during those long, long, long weeks of lockdown when I was really just in the same house with two people I supposedly love, but it was pretty <laughs> damn sick of by the end of last year. So thank you both for everything you do and for being my guests today. Thank you so much for having us. It is always a delight to talk to you. We would do it anytime you ask. That's it for my conversation with Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. You can, of course, listen to Shameless wherever you get your podcasts, as well as their new podcast, which is exclusive to listener, The Books That Changed My Life. Don't go away. The weekend list is coming up. It is weekend list time and I am joined again by Tate McGregor from Brooke and Linda's Dream Club podcast. Tate, how are you settling into the year? Oh, look, it's one of those tumultuous years. I'm actually quite looking forward to 2022, though. I think we're going to get a lot more freedom this year. I'm excited for some live music coming up. Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell at the moment. How are you settling in? I like your wild positivity. I'm basically not (laughs) leaving the house, but that's giving me a lot of time to listen to things and watch things to recommend on this podcast. But I am going to be polite and let you go first. What are you thinking? Uh, Okay, so this is a series that I have loved since season one. It's called Queer Eye. It's on Netflix. Season six has just dropped. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Jamila, but... Queer Eye follows the Fab Five, which are five queer people who go into the homes of uh, people who need a bit of like a a revive. They're in a rut. They need to re-spark and find themselves again. And it's a really good, feel-good show. And if you're someone like me who loves a transformation scene, then this show is just full of them. So the different areas that you see, they help with grooming, dress sense, cooking, they renovate spaces, and they also chat about mental health. Um, But the best part is that each season takes place in a different city that's generally in the US Bible Belt. And for a lot of the people that they're meeting along the way, it's the first time that they've, you know, come in and become friends with someone who's outwardly queer. So it's not only this whole transformation of these people, but At the centre of it is this breaking down of social stigmas and beautiful friendship. And then the hair. The hair. His hair is just really, really, really greasy. Like I've never, ever seen such greasy hair in my life. You're a stinky boy. And what do we do with stinky boys? Tan and Anthony are going to wash her hair now. So if you need a feel-good show just to chuck on in the background or you want a little bit of a giggle, a little bit of a happy cry, I recommend Queer Eye. 
It's so good. It's so good. I am a fellow Queer Eye mega fan and I think it is such a good example of a television show that has evolved with the times without Mm. rejecting its past but kind of holding on to the best bits because it was originally with a different group of five queer men at the time. It was called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and they would essentially Mm. give makeovers to straight blokes. They've really evolved the concept since then. They help out whoever needs help and it's far less sort of dictatorial, here's how your life can be better and much more kind and generous and warm and inclusive and I am the same as you, Tate. I could watch it all day. I'm always so sad that the (laughs) seasons aren't longer. It's so binge-worthy. What are you binging? What have you been doing while you've been inside? Tate, I have got a podcast for you. Have you heard of the bias diagnosis? No, what is that? This is one of those podcasts that I came across accidentally and then thought was completely fascinating and ended up going, why is no one talking about this one? It is a British podcast and it asks some really interesting questions. It sets out saying, does your race affect your outcomes? with the medical Ah. system. So will you get different treatment? Will you experience and interact with the medical system differently depending on your race? And it's hosted by Dr. Ivan Beckley who investigates what, spoiler, turns out to be the shocking inequalities in the health system. Um, And Dr. Beckley looks at the conditions that are diagnosed incorrectly or conditions that are diagnosed ridiculously late in the piece, so late diagnoses which lead to worse outcomes, Mm. right through to racist stereotypes that mean that doctors and nurses regularly underestimate their patients' pain levels and aren't as responsive when a patient is in hospital and saying, I'm in pain, I need painkillers, I need assistance. They're more likely to say, oh, no, you're just trying to game the system for more painkillers. It doesn't have the kind of gory, sensationalist stuff that a lot of hospital podcasts and television shows tend to have. This is really a show that is about prejudice and how prejudice plays out even in places where we like to think it doesn't exist, like our health system. Does it follow case studies or whistleblowers or doctors? Like uh, what's the through line? Is it, who's the conduit in this? Yeah, the through line for us is this doctor, Ivan Beckley, yeah, okay. who takes us through their studies and their studies are looking at like the qualitative stuff, like that big picture data question yeah. about where things happen to lots of people, right through to that quantitative stuff where we're talking about an individual person and something that's happened to them. That's so interesting because I know Dr. Death is huge at the moment. So that's that's a whole other side of the table. Oh, cool. And Tate, I hear a vicious rumour that you've been cooking. (laughs) Oh my God, someone's put me in the kitchen. It's horrific. Um, Yeah, I never recommend a cook, but this is something that is a summer staple that I thought I'd better share. It's a salad option that if you're someone who doesn't like something super leafy, you want something filling, a variety of textures, then this is for you. It's the Freakers Salad Recipe from Rick Stein's cookbook from Venice to Istanbul, but you can also find it online at Happy Foodie. And it's really simple, except for the pomegranates. There are pomegranates that you will have to peel and tackle, and that's about as difficult as it gets, which is messy work, so prep for that. So essentially, you've got frika as the base. It's got spring onions, some chopped parsley and mint, 
a squeeze of lime. Ooh. It says crust pistachios, but I use walnuts. And then you've got your pomegranate in there. And then you can add like other fun things like orange or, you know, you go wild. Like that's what I use as like the, the base of it. Then every time I do it, I just add some fun things that I find in my fridge. And it's a great option. It's a crowd pleaser. It's really refreshing. And as I said, super simple. So yeah, a Frika salad. If you've never tried Frika, this is the way to do it. I also love any kind of recipe where I don't have to do a shop specifically for that recipe, where I can substitute a bunch of other stuff in that is otherwise going to go moldy in the bottom of my fridge. Exactly, exactly. And like you can buy some Frika, don't have to use all of it at that one time. You can make the batch ongoing. It's so good. It's so good. Good meal prep too. Jamila, I know you're still delving into more podcasts. Tell me about what you've been listening to. I think this one's really intriguing. I am now, Tate starting to cross-platform my watching. So I mentioned last year when I was chatting with Brooke and Linda that I had started And Just Like That, which is the remake of Sex and the City that follows three of the Sex and the City women 20 years down the track, now in their 50s and their 60s. And I hated it. And I hated myself for continuing to watch it. Because for some reason, I still wanted to keep going because I wanted these characters that I'd been so attached to earlier in my life to get better and deliver for me. And here's the thing, I think they are now. Some of the things that bothered me about the first and second episodes are starting to fade. Some of the more diverse characters that they're introducing are starting to become three-dimensional rather than token. Okay. And so I have dived into a podcast called And Just Like That, The Writer's Room. And in it, you have all of the people who are working as writers on the new version of Sex and the City and Just Like That. And they spend an hour every week unpacking the episode, explaining why they made the decision they did everything from the fashion to the character development to uh, people having to leave the series because they hate everyone uh, through to how they explore aging of women and how they do that authentically I genuinely think this series is getting better and better and better and while there is the odd moment where I get really frustrated with the tv show sometimes the explanations from this podcast version make me reflect on it again and see it in a totally different light. So if you are a diehard Sex and the City fan, if you are someone who is still watching and just like that and oscillating between loving it and wondering why you're doing it, this podcast is for you. What about you, Carrie? Have you ever masturbated in a public place? Not since Barney's closed. God, you're going in deep. That's deep into the fandom and I love it. So deep. (laughs) Carrie, party of three? That's it for the weekend briefing. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. If you would like more of the weekend briefing and more of the weekday briefing too, then you can find us on the listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you subscribe, you will make sure that you never miss an episode. If you also wanted to leave us a very lovely rating and review, it would absolutely make my day. Make sure that you tune in from 6am Monday morning for the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.